Thank you, thank you. What's up, Life Church? You doing all right this morning? It's good to see you, and happy Father's Day to all of the dads and all of the men out there. You may not be a father, but if you're a man, you probably are acting or playing the role of a father in somebody's life, and we all need you so much, and so we honor you. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Man, what a treat and an honor it is for uh, me to be back home in Franklin Parish for a few days, and um, while I'm here, it's always one of my favorite things to do to stop by and um, be with this incredible, incredible church. It's good to have my family with me this morning, my beautiful wife, Kimberly, and as he said, Elin, who is six, she just graduated kindergarten a few weeks ago and is going in straight into her senior year, and uh, at least she thinks that, and I think she's over in the next building, so if you hear that building collapse this morning during the middle of my sermon, you know why she's there. Um, but it's happy to have her and my family here, and then, of course, my mom and my sister's here this morning, and as Pastor Kevin said, I've even got some cousins here, Chad and Annie, it's so good to see you. I think, Corey, I see you back there, man. So many familiar faces, and it's always, how many know it's just good to be home? If you if you ever leave for a trip and you get back home, you just kind of exhale. You can be yourself, and so I'm going to be myself this morning, if that's all right, and um, just enjoy uh, being here with all of you. Uh, it's so good to see you. I call him Bishop. I, y'all call him Brother George. I call him Bishop because he's the Bishop, and uh, so good to see Bishop George Bates and. And Sister Shirley, these are some of the most incredible people on the planet, aren't they? And he, I tell you what, they have amazing gift. They have an amazing, amazing gift. Um, I don't know anybody that's any uh, a greater encourager than 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 Bishop George Bates is. Well, you can't help but just feel better than what you actually are about yourself when you leave hanging around him. I told him, uh, Pastor Kevin said, mentioned I, I had the uh, honor last summer to be with them in a minister's conference and had the privilege of um, speaking to ministers and pastors from across the country. Of course, he was there and I walked in um, on the very first night of that meeting and um, Brother George was there. He came, gave me a huge hug. He's, and he, he, first thing he said, he came up to me, he said, here's my favorite preacher in the whole world. And just gave me a big hug. And so the next day when it was my turn to preach, I got up and I told that story. And I told him, I said, and I know he told every preacher in this room that very same thing. But he said it to me, and that's all that matters. So, uh, But he is one of the greatest encouragers that I've ever been around, and um, I love them so much. And then, of course, Pastor Kevin and Kayla and their family. Don't you love your pastors here at Life Church? Just incredible, incredible people with a great vision um, and a burden for this community, for Franklin Parish, and God has blessed it and Hey, the best days are ahead of you guys. They're not behind you. And I believe that God is just going to continue to bless this church and their ministry. And And you're not done yet. you got more people to reach in Franklin Parish with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And um, you're just blessed to have Pastor Kevin and Kayla at the helm leading the way. Some of the greatest people on the planet. And I mean that. It's some of Kimberly and I's favorite people. Anytime we get a chance to be around them. Um, we want to be around people like that, and, and so it's good to be here. All right, 
All of that said and done, how many of you are ready to just kind of get into the Word of God a little bit this morning? You ready for that? Now, I know the real reason you're ready, because you got a barbecue waiting after here, and uh, you're going to celebrate with Dad, so I'm not going to take long this morning, but but I do want to just um, hopefully deposit a little bit of truth um, here this morning for you, and I believe God's going to do something amazing in this place today. Don't you believe that? I believe that. Now, how many of you, um, how many of you ever um, was going to meet somebody? If you've ever had this experience, like you, you somebody was telling you, "Hey, I'm going to introduce you to this person," or you knew you were going to meet this person, and um, because of maybe you had a mutual friend or a mutual acquaintance of this person, because of some of the things that they told you about the person you were going to meet, um, how many of you, before you ever met this particular person, just decided you didn't like them before you ever met them? I got a few honest people in here today. I, I know it works different. Maybe it's different. Maybe you're not like me. But there's been just a few times I've, you know, kind of had an impression of somebody um, before I ever met them from some mutual acquaintances. And I just had made up in my mind, okay, I've got to meet this pe- these people, but I'm just not going to like them. But then after you meet them, I don't know if you've ever had the experience, but after you meet them and you've been around them for a little while and you get to know them a little bit, you realize this is good people. Like, they're not as bad as so-and-so told me they were going to be. I don't know what's wrong with them, but, hey, I like that. Anybody ever had that happen? Like, you, you, you had a different opinion of somebody after you actually met them um, and got a chance to know them than maybe you did before, before you ever met them. I would say that um, this is the way it works with a lot of people and their impression and their view of God. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Jesus' ministry, Jesus spent a lot of time in his ministry trying to correct kind of ill-conceived notions or preconceived notions even that people had about God before um, they actually met him. He spent a lot of his ministry, if you read in the New Testament, much of his time um, was spent uh, with one of two categories of people. There was people that were very, very far from God, whom society and especially the religious elite had told that God really doesn't care about them. He has, doesn't want anything to do with them. He spent a lot of time with these people trying to, to paint an accurate picture of who God actually was, that no, 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 you're the very people God wants to be around. And now, of course, this got Jesus in a lot of trouble, right? Um, ultimately, it would be what got him crucified. Because the religious people, the elite people, um, were very, very upset at him because, you know, he's hanging out with sinners. He's actually eating with people that don't love God, blah, 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 blah. And so Jesus would hang out with them a lot. And then another group of people that he also spent a lot of time with trying to correct their um, misconceptions of who God actually was, was the religious people. Um, and and he was not as nice to them as he was to the people far from God. Like, he, he would just challenge them um, in, in a great way because if anybody should have known who God was, it should have been these people. But But they had not only kind of separated themselves out of society and formed their own special little group to try to keep people out, but they also misrepresented the very nature who, of who God actually was to people. And so so Jesus was constantly trying to repair the image of God. He was constantly trying to depending on what group of people he was with trying to 
to erase their their notions, their incorrect perceptions of who God actually was and give them the accurate true picture of his father, God, and how much he loved them and who he really was and what his character was really like. And one such place um, was found in Luke, the 15th chapter. And I know this is such the, oh yeah, it's Father's Day. Of course you're going to go to Luke 15. So just bear with me, all right? I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to do what pastors do. We go to Luke 15 on Father's Day, okay? It's actually one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told. And in this parable, he tells a parable about a father um, and, and how he relates to his family. And in this, he's talking, he actually tells this parable to religious people. He's talking to the religious elite of his day because they don't understand who God really is. And he's trying his best to teach them what God is really like. And this is very important because most of Jesus' ministry, again, was trying to get people to see the proper way to relate to God. Because how you relate to God determines everything. How you see and perceive God determines and dictates every aspect of your life. And he's trying to get them to see that God is like a a good, good father. Sounds like a song I've heard before, right? Like, like he is a good father. I mean, Jesus was always telling, like he told his disciples, when you pray, pray like this, our father. He, Jesus was trying to say, he's not just my father, but because of what I'm going to do for you, he's going to be your father as well. So don't pray, you know, Jesus' father who is in heaven. No, pray our father who art in heaven. He's trying to get them to relate to God as he's not some big ogre, some big judge with a massive gavel waiting to send you to hell. He, he is a father that loves you unconditionally and wants to do good things for your life. And so he tells this parable, and I want to dive into it, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to fail at trying to get this completely across to you because I think a lot of times this parable Um, is lost in translation on us because we have to realize Jesus is telling this parable to a group of religious elite of his day in first century Palestine. And so he kind of intertwines and weaves into this this story some very scandalous things, actually. Like, I'm going to do my best, I'm going to fail, but I'm going to do my best to try to put First century Palestinian Jewish ears on us today, okay? Um, so you're going to have to stretch with me a little bit. Because they would have heard this parable very, very differently than you and I hear it. Now, this is one of the most famous parables. I'm sure you've heard it. It's often called the prodigal son. Um, I think that's the wrong name for it. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but we know it as the, the, the story of the prodigal son. I actually think it should be called the prodigal father. But... But, but, but we have this kind of way we hear this, but first century Jewish people in Palestine would have heard this story way different than what we're used to hearing it. And I'm going to try to take us there this morning, okay? You want to go with me for a little bit? And, and, and I believe if we can hear this the way they heard it, it will hopefully for somebody in this room here today radically shift the way that you see and view God and how he looks at you, okay? So let's look at Luke, the 15th chapter. I'm going to just kind of read through this. Um, as quickly as possible. The Bible says that in Luke 15, 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. 
And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, these are the religious leader of the day, it made them complain that people far from God would actually come here, Jesus, teach about God. Like this was the environment that, that, that was in this time. It, they would complain that he was associating with sinful people, even eating with them. My God forbid, right? So Jesus, because these religious leaders were so ticked off that he would associate with people far from God, the Bible, Luke, physician Luke says he tells them this story. Now don't forget, Jesus is telling this story not to people far from God. He's not telling this to the sinners. He's telling this story to the religious people, okay? Because he wants them to see you've got God all wrong. Then he goes into this story in verse 11. A man had two sons. Now, stop real quick. I was halfway decent at English. I made decent grades. But I know enough about English to know the subject of a story is usually the first person that pops up, right? We've often made the subject of this story the younger son, the prodigal son. That's not the subject of this story. Uh, Jesus has actually made the father the main topic of this story because he wants them to see who God really is. So he says, I want you to see how this father acts and reacts towards his two sons. So he says, a man has two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Now, let's stop right here, because in this particular culture in first century Palestine, a younger son making this request of his father would have been inconceivable. As a matter of fact, again, when Jesus is telling this story, the people that are hearing this would have been highly offended at this younger son. Because what this really was the equivalent of in their day was this younger son having a death wish on his father. In their culture, for a son to do this would basically mean the son wants, just wishes his father was dead, and he doesn't want anything to do with him. And in a highly patriarchal culture like they would live in, this was unthinkable, and it was highly, highly offendable. But this is what Jesus paints for them. This younger son comes to his dad and says, I want you dead. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want a relationship with you. I wish you were dead, but since you're not, can you just go ahead and give me what's due my, me, right now, and I'm going to do my own thing. And watch what this father does. He doesn't get offended. He doesn't kick his son out of the house. Rather, the father agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. Then a few days later, this younger son, he packs all of his belongings, and he moves to a distant land. Again, Jesus is painting a very scandalous picture here. Because he says, not only does he get his stuff, but then he takes it and he moves to a distant land. He moves out of Jerusalem, away from Jerusalem. In this culture, they would have seen the very habitation of God dwelt in the temple at Jerusalem. He wanted away not only from his father, he wanted away from the presence of God. Not only was he leaving proximity of Jerusalem, he left Israel altogether. And these people were sons and daughters of Abraham. They thought that they had a monopoly on God's love. And to leave Israel and to leave their fellow Israelites would have meant that he didn't want anything to do with the blessing of Abraham. 
And the more Jesus tells about the details of this younger son, the angrier and the more fury is being raged in these religious leaders because they know what he's saying about this boy. He don't want anything to do with his father. He wants nothing to do with his heritage. He even disowns his father Abraham, right? He moves to a distant land. And there in that distant land, he wastes all the money and wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. So now a son of Abraham is working for a pagan in a distant land. And not only does he work for this man, but this man sends him into the fields to feed pigs. Like, now to a Jew, uh, to a Hebrew, to feed pigs was about as low as you could get. Because they looked at that, not only did they look, the reason why they looked at that is because in the covenant of Moses, a pig was unclean. As a matter of fact, if they even came in contact with a pig, if they touched a pig, that they would have to go through a ceremonial cleansing process before they could be reinstituted into the community. Why? Because it was unclean. You didn't touch those. And so here's this son, death wish on his father, disowns his heritage of Abraham, leaves Jerusalem, leaves Israel, distant land, works for a pagan in a pig farm. He is about as far from God in these religious people's minds as you can possibly get. And for these religious guys, what they're thinking at this point in the story is he's getting everything he deserves. This is what happens, right? The chickens have come home to roost. This is what happens when you disown your father. This is what happens when you leave the covenant of Abraham. This is what happens when you leave Israel. This is what happens when you, when you do it your own way. And these religious leaders, they're thinking that this is God's justice on this boy. Like, this is the way it's supposed to happen. Well, of course, he would end up broke with nothing in a pig's pen. That's exactly where God would banish him. But Jesus doesn't stop the story there. He keeps on reading and says that the the man, he became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And these people would have thought, absolutely, nobody needs to give him anything. His father gave him everything, and he wasted it. Nobody needs to give him anything. But Jesus keeps on going. And I love this, what he says. He says, when he finally came to his senses, according to Jesus, according to Jesus, you're not your right self when you're not at home with the father. Like, like Jesus says, he's, it's not like he's a hoodlum, a heathen. A, no, no, no. He just wasn't in his right mind. Like he wasn't thinking properly. But there was a time at the lowest point of his life where Jesus says he comes to his senses and says, at home, even the hired servants have food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. According to Jesus, when you're out of the father's house, you're not yourself. But the moment you realize, hey, wait, 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 wait. There's safety at the father's house. He says, it doesn't matter how far you are, all of a sudden you get in your right mind. Like now to these religious leaders, they think the right mindset is the boy should have sat there and said, I got what I deserve. And now I have to live out my days like this. 
that this is what happens. I should have known better. I should have done better. I should have been better. According to the religious mindset and their view of who God was, the boy should have just stayed there and realized, I got what I deserve. I'm reaping what I'm sowing. But Jesus says, no, no, you come to your senses when you realize this isn't where you're supposed to be. This isn't where, where you belong. And so what does the boy do? He returns home to his father. And now here we go. While he was still a long way off, his father sees him. He sees him and filled with righteous indignation and hatred and anger. No. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Now, earlier when he rehearsed it in the pig pen, he would go on to say, I want to be your servant. But the father loved him so much and was so happy he was home. He interrupts him. When, as soon as he starts hearing him talk like that, like, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be called your son, his father stops him. He doesn't even get to ask to be a servant. And the Bible says that the father says to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found, so the party began. And in this moment, all right, that makes me feel like home. I'm a Pentecostal, so you ain't going to bother me by clapping, okay? In this moment, Jesus paints a scandalous picture of God. Like, to you and I, it's just like, oh, yeah, this is the prodigal son, and this is how God loves us. To, to, to you and I, that's how we read it. But, but to these religious people of that day, they would have, this is, again, one of the reasons why they were so mad at Jesus and would eventually uh, uh, convince the Roman government to let them put him on a cross. Because he was painting a picture of God so far from what they perceived God to be that they thought there's no way God is that good. There's no way God would ever work that way. There's no way God could ever do that. Actually, God would have left him in the pig pen because that's where he belongs. He sowed the seed and now he's reaping what he's sowing. But, but Jesus says, no, 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 you've got God all wrong. And you're mad because I'm hanging out with people that are far from God. But actually the heart of God is where they're at, not way back here in our religious institutions. And so he paints this, he paints this picture and says, let me, let me show you, let me show you who God really is. And for the, for the next few minutes, I'm going to close this out and I'm going to just give you three things that I think that, that Jesus painted a picture of who God is, that three things that, that Jesus wanted to communicate to them about a good father. 
what a good father does. And not only a good father, but this is who God really is. And I pray that in these closing moments here this morning, that there would be somebody that maybe you walked in here today. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're here because it's Father's Day and you're here with your family and you just didn't want them to be on your back and riding you all day because you didn't come to church with them. So you just came, but you really don't want to be here. We're glad you're here. I don't care how you got here. But I hope before you leave today, maybe you walked in and you had an inaccurate view of who God is. Maybe because of some bad religious experience in your past. Maybe because you, God forbid, got your perception of who God is from somebody else that dared to represent God in a bad way. But I I hope that before you leave today that we could leave with an accurate view of who God is and just how much he loves us. So here's three things if you take notes. I think you'll go to heaven if you take notes. So three things, three things, three things a good father does. The first thing a good father does is he looks. He looks. Jesus said that that son, he he was still a far way off. He was still a long way off. He never, he didn't get to the father. He was still far off from the father's house. But there was a father who even after having a son that looked him in the eye and said, I don't want anything to do with you. I wish you were dead. I don't want you in my life anymore. Give me what's mine and I'm out of here. Even after having him do that to him, there was a father that every day would walk to the front of his porch and he would look. He didn't write him off. He didn't say, you wanted me dead? Well, you're dead to me. But he would go to his house every day and he would look. A good father looks. A good father looks at Facebook accounts, in their rooms, in the drawers, and under the bed. <laughs> that's, that's true, but I'm not talking about that kind of looking. A good father looks. What was Jesus saying? That there is a God that's looking for you even when you're not looking for him. That even while that boy was still in a far distant land, blowing everything he had on all kinds of stuff, that there was a father that looked every day, every day, every day. That even when when he wasn't looking for his father, his father was looking for him. Can I tell you here today, I don't care how far you may feel like you are from God, God is looking for you. God is just looking for that moment when, as Jesus said, we come to our senses and realize that he doesn't love us based on our performance. He loves us based on who we are and who we are is his kids. Even when that boy looked at his dad and said, I wish you were dead, I don't want anything to do with you. That father said, you're still my son. Even when you're in a distant land, I still love you. Can I tell you that God loves you this morning, no matter how far you may be from him? That he loves you. 
It's not based on your performance. It's not based on your past deeds and, and your failures. And, and, and if you just lived up to, 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 to lived your life good enough to maybe hopefully he would accept you. It's not based on any of that. It's just based on the fact that you are his son and you are his daughter and he loves you. Whether you're in a pig pen in a far distant land, having blown everything you had at your lowest stage, or whether you're in the house, it doesn't matter. He loves you. He loves you. And he's looking. He's looking for you. A good father looks. The second thing a good father does is he loves. A good father loves. He loves unconditionally and he loves extravagantly. This is why I think we've mislabeled this this parable because if you look up the word prodigal, prodigal literally means extravagant. And we've labeled this this parable, the, the parable of the prodigal son because he, this son went and he lived extravagantly and blew everything he had, but, but it misses the point really. Jesus wasn't trying to get them to focus on how extravagant the boy was living. He was trying to get them to focus on how extravagant the father's love was. That this, that this is a prodigal father, an extravagant father. That, that the Bible says that when he saw his son, that he did not make his son come to him. That the moment he saw him afar off, the father... Now watch the picture that Jesus paints. The father takes off running to his son and he embraces him. He doesn't say, well, if you want, if you want to live in my house, you can get here. You know the way home. You left. You know the way home. No, no, no. The moment he sees him, he takes off running. Now, this is scandalous because in first century Palestine, a man of this stature would have never ran in public. He would have been an elder in that community, and it was seen as scandalous for them to be seen running. It would have been beneath of the stature that they would have in the community. But Jesus paints this picture of this father that puts aside his reputation, that puts aside his standing in the community, and he runs. He breaks protocol. This isn't the way things are supposed to be done. This isn't the way we're supposed to act. This isn't the way a man of your stature would, would ever. But no, no, no. He breaks protocol. What was he doing? He was saying, all the shame that the community wants to put on my boy, I want that shame to be put on me. You look at me. Look at me. I'm going to run in front of you. I'm coming to my boy. And you can talk about me. And you can think I'm living beneath who I really am. But put the shame on me. I don't want it on my boy. I want it on me. Kind of reminds you of a God that went to a cross. And the Bible says he became sin for us so that we who were sinners would know no sin. And he says, I'll hang. Cursed is every man that hangs from a tree, the Bible said. And Jesus said, I'll hang there, cursed in front of everybody. So the shame will be on me, not not the children of God. This man is running and saying, I don't want you to look at my boy. I want you to look at me. I don't want you to look at how far he's gone. I want you to look at how much I love him. That I'm willing to break protocol. I'm willing to take on the the glaring stares and the whispers and all of that just so that I can get to my boy. The Bible says he I, I, I love this. 
I love this so much because oftentimes, unfortunately, the church, we want to wait till they get in the house before we hug them. We want to make them wait till they get, get in the Father's house before we embrace them. But Jesus said that's not the way God works. God leaves the house and gets as far out as he can. And he don't wake that, make that boy wait until he gets back in the house and gets cleaned up and gets a bath and gets, gets the smell of pigs off of him and goes through some ceremonial cleansing. Remember, he comes from a pig's pit. According to these religious leaders, he can't be there. He's got to go out and do the ceremonial cleansing. He's got to stay away for days before he can ever come in contact. And that, that stately gentleman, that man, he says, no, 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 no. I'm not about all of that. I'm going to run to where he is. I'm not going to wait till he gets cleaned up. I'm not going to wait till he goes through protocol. That's my boy. And I'm going to meet him where he's at. And I'm going to hug him. And I'm going to embrace him. Come on, let's, come on, life church. Let's be a church that embraces people and accepts people in their pro- God doesn't say, God doesn't want you to get fixed so he can save you. He doesn't want you to get saved so He can accept you. He accepts you so He can fix you. He accepts you so He can love you. He accepts you so He can help you to become everything He's created you to be. And there's some people in this room here today that maybe the reason why you've stayed away from God or you haven't come around church is because you have this view of God that's so completely wrong. God's not waiting for you to get your life cleaned up and get your life all together before you can come in and lift your hands and let God love you. God's saying, I don't want that. I'm not waiting on that. I'm just waiting on you to come to your senses and realize you don't have to clean yourself up. That's what the cross is about. That's why I sent my son. That's why I died on the cross come as you are come right now and let me love you that son he's got a speech rehearsed and he says dad he's going to tell him I want to be he just interrupts him he doesn't even let him finish what does he say he says bring the ring bring the ring right now bring the ring which was a signal of authority he said I'm restoring your authority in this house He said, put a robe on him. I don't want anybody to see the shame. I'm putting, put a robe over him. I don't want anybody to see his tattered clothes. My grace is going to cover him. I'm not going to make him walk back to my house like this. I'm going to bring a robe right here, right now in front of God and everybody. And this, so everybody can know I'm putting my robe and I'm putting my ring and while you're getting the robe, get some shoes. Why? Because in this culture and in this society, a slave had no shoes. He was barefoot. But if you were a son, you had shoes. And he said, boy, I'm not bringing you back into my house to be a slave. I'm bringing you back in my house to set you free and to be a son. I'm not bringing you in here to remind you of how far you went and how bad you are. I'm bringing you in here to make sure you know this is where you always belonged. Don't ever think that God saves you to bondage you, put you in bondage. God saves you to set you free, to be everything that he created you to be. walks him back to his house with robe and ring and shoes. And that's the third thing the father does is he restores. 
restores that boy to who he really is. And not only does he restore him, I, I, I just love, I love this little addendum that Jesus puts on this story. He doesn't let it get, he doesn't end it without telling them. By the way, he throws a party and invites the whole community. Because the community that he was surrounded in would have preferred that boy died in a pig pen. Because what he did was so offensive to an elder statesman in their community. But the father says, no, I'm going to throw a party, get the best calf we got, and I'm going to invite all these high-browed, self-righteous people in this community because I don't want him just to be restored to my house. I'm going to restore him to this community. And if they want me to be a part of it, they're going to have to bring him back. And they're going to have to accept him. I love I love that I have a God that says, I'm not just going to kind of do my thing over here in the corner with you and, and you just be happy you made it back. But, but God says, I'm going to restore you to the place that you always belong and it's going to be like you never left. Don't you ever come back to God. Don't you ever approach God and think, oh God, just give me a little bit of grace and if I could just live out my life in your love, then that's good. No, 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 no. God's got a mission. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose for your life. He didn't just save you by his grace so that you could escape hell, but he saved you to put your testimony at work. God's got a place and a purpose for your life. You don't need to hold your head down. I don't care how far you've been. I don't care how long you've been there. God says, I've got something I'm going to do with you. I'm going to elevate you in all the community. I'm going to elevate you and I'm going to let your story be effective for other people's life. It's a good father. It's a good father. It's a good father. And I'm talking to people today. And maybe you've walked in here and you felt ashamed or discouraged. Maybe you felt like that you don't deserve God's love and God's grace. There's not one of us in here that deserves it. Maybe you felt like that younger boy when he said, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not worthy. It's not about your worth. It's about what he's done. It's not about what you've done. He has ascribed unsurpassable worth on your life when he sent his son to die on the cross. He ascribed insurpassable worth to you and I that he said, I love you so much. I will give my one and only son so that you don't have to live in a pig pen far away from my house. But that you can boldly, that's why the writer of Hebrews says that we boldly approach the throne of grace. Not a throne of mercy. Not a throne of condemnation. Not a throne that wants to bring up how bad we've been or how long we've been away from God. But a throne that says, I've been looking for you for a long, long, long I love that the father just makes him stand there in front of the community on the road and all the boy can do is accept the love of the father he don't let him grovel he don't let him get down on his hands and knees he picks him up and he says I'm gonna I'm gonna lavishly put my love on you right here 
in front of the community, on the road, not at my house. You get the robe, you get the ring, you get the shoes. And the Bible says that he kissed him. The Greek word that the Bible uses there for kiss is literally kataphileo, which means to kiss over and over and over and over. You got embarrassed when your mom or dad dropped you off at school and gave you a peck on the cheek. Like this man just kissed him, kataphileo, over and over and over and over and over and over. And the boy who had planned to grovel had to stand there as his father just kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and hugged him put a robe on him and put shoes on his feet and put a ring on his finger. That's God. That's God. That's our Father who is in heaven. Can you bow your head with me this morning? I love epistle of John in 1 John chapter number 3 verse 1 it says John says this he says see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are you are his children you're his child you get every benefit that comes with being a son or a daughter of God that means you don't have to work your way into relationship that means you don't have to earn your way into position if you're a child, if you're a son if you're a daughter, it's just yours by birth it's yours through relationship. And I want to invite somebody here this morning that maybe you've been away from the Father's house. Maybe you can relate to this younger son that through decisions that you made and through maybe some wrong turns that you made in your life, you found yourself in a broken place. And the enemy would try to convince you because of your brokenness, God doesn't want you. Because of your brokenness, that you need to stay away. But you are in the middle of a group of people and you are sitting in a church of people that believes that he's a good father. And he's been looking for you. He's been planning and preparing and waiting for this one moment when you walk into his presence his people so that he can show you just how much he loves you and it's not based on what you've done or where you've been it's based on the fact that you just made a move toward him and if you're here today and you want a fresh start with our good God our good father all it takes is just one moment of surrender that's all salvation really is salvation is not about you joining a church it's not about you signing a membership role. Salvation is simply you surrendering your life to a good God and allowing his love to transform your life. And if you're here and you've never made that decision, or maybe you've been away for a long time and you're ready for a fresh start with God, 
just with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, right where you're seated, you can say this prayer with me. And I believe it's going to get you on the road back to the Father's house. And you're going to see restoration and you're going to see healing begin to happen in your life as you let Him have control. So right where you are, just underneath your breath and your heart, just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love. And today, I ask you to forgive me of my mistakes. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my failures. And today, I surrender my life to you. Everything, God, the brokenness, the things I'm ashamed of, the things I'm proud of, everything belongs to you today. And I give you my life completely and totally from this day forward. I am not my own, but I am yours in Jesus' name. And can everybody say amen with me this morning? Hey, if you believe God just did something great in somebody's life, I wonder if you could celebrate with me by standing all over this house and just putting your hands together and let's give God a great hand clap of praise. Can we do that? Come on, let's lift up the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Come on, the band's going to come back and lead us in a closing moment of worship. And as they do, I wonder if you could just lift your hands all over this house, all over this house. Lift your hands to a Father that loves us. And I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over you. Lord Jesus, I bless this church. I bless these people, Lord. And I pray, God, that today we would see you for who you really are, that you are our Father, and that you love us, and that you want to do good things for us. Let us never be the same again and let us never see you the same again in Jesus name and everybody say amen come on let's worship God all over this
What an incredible, life-giving, power-filled word we heard this morning. Thank you, Jeffrey Goodman, for being the voice, for being the instrument, the vessel that God used today to tell us and remind us once again of the great love that our Father has for us. I don't think I'll ever call that story the prodigal son ever again. From here on out, that story to me will be called the scandalous father. The scandalous father. Aren't you thankful that he broke all, all the protocol to come to where we were? As he challenged us a moment ago, and we, as many of us across this room, we prayed that prayer. I think it's so, so cool, actually, that, that we did that from our seat instead of walking to the front of a church. Because it was so significant based on the story that we heard today that he came to where we were. It doesn't have to happen in the front of a church building. It can, it can happen right where you are. It can happen on the back 40 on a tractor. It can happen in a bar room. It can happen in a drug rehab. It can happen wherever you may find yourself. He will meet you where you are. The scandalous father will break all the rules and come to where you are. Thank you, Jeffrey Goodman. Thank you, Kimberly Goodman. Thank you for being in Winsboro today and being on assignment of the Lord today. Thank you. God bless you. And I want to challenge you to do something today. There's two people, two men, two great fathers in this house that are always two of the last ones to leave. They're going to be here. They'll be hanging around here. They'll be out in the foyer in a little while. One of those is George Bates, my father. The other one is Tommy Kimbrough. Wave your hand, Tommy. We can see, we can see the light off the top of your head already, so we know who you are over there. There's not two men in this room that can hug better than these two men. So if you need a hug from a good earthly father today, I want you just to line up and let one of these two guys just embrace you and let you feel what the love and the hug of a good earthly father is. And then through that, feel the embrace of your loving heavenly father on this great Father's Day today. Are you glad you came to church? Just say a great big amen. 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 Jason. Foster, will you grab that basket right underneath you right there? All of you dads in the room, you brought, you you should have received a, a ticket when you came in today. And uh, we have a really cool gift we want to give away to you. I uh, hope you got a truck if you win. If not, we'll meet you here one day this week because it's a four-in-one pro series gas, like, 20,000 burners and, and, uh, uh, charcoal, uh, a, a, a side burner, a smoke box, the whole night. I mean, you can do anything and everything. You can feed an army on this thing. And, uh, the number that we call out today is, uh oh, there's one on the floor. I can't touch it. I can't touch it. Jason, I'm going to hold this and let you draw and you call the number today. <laughs> now, if you win, if you win, all right, I'll draw, I'll draw, okay. All right, gentlemen, drum roll, please. Oh, thank you very much. All right. Seven, five, eight, zero, seven, five. There he is, right? Wow. All right. Come on. Wow. God bless you. All righty. We got it. We got a big grill for you. You'll have to pick up today or this week sometime. God bless you. 
Happy Father's Day to all of you. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. Go in his grace. Go in his peace. Have a wonderful week in Jesus' name. Amen.